Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. We'll have more information at the end of the podcast, but for now, please enjoy this week's teaching. The second scripture reading this morning is from Psalm chapter 107, verses 1 through 7, and verses 33 through 37. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those he redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to an inhabited town, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way until they reached an inhabited town. He turns rivers into a desert springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste. Because of the wickedness of its inhabitants, he turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry live, and they establish a town to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. The word of the Lord. So uh, I love preaching the Psalms. Uh, I once heard a theologian refer to the Psalms as the songs of the people. And as I was prepping the sermon, my husband, who many of y'all met at church vacation, um, said to me, well, I don't like preaching the Psalms because there's not much theology in them. And I have to disagree with him. I told him, no, there's so much in there. There is the real lived lives of people who are crying out to God in whatever situation and circumstance they find themselves in. There's the gritty prayers of anger and heartbreak. There are the elated prayers of those who've seen God reveal God's self to them. Um, I said to him, I get to get a picture of what it looks like for so many saints to go ahead of me and have a real-time relationship with God. And then I really frustrated him because I quoted uh, his least favorite theologian, John Calvin, back to him. <laughs> when I said to him, you know, John Calvin says that in the Psalms that you find the anatomy of the soul. There is not an emotion in which anyone can be conscious that is not represented as in a mirror. He was not happy with that. <laughs> but then I said to him, well, think about all of the Psalms. And, and so like, I just started like, mentioning a few that were really meaningful for me. And then as I sat down to work on this sermon, I thought, yes, there are so many examples of real live saints encountering God and, and sharing with them their, their prayers and their questions and, 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 and how they are uh, wrestling through their spiritual formation. Okay, like for instance, look at Psalm 131 that says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. How many of us have felt like we were crying out to God from a place of deep despair, deep overwhelm? And then like Psalm 42, 7 says, Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. How many of us have gone outside have gone to the lake and just marveled at the beauty and said, there's something there that reveals God to me. Or maybe there's something I feel deep in my soul that I want to pray or that I, to God and that I want God to see and I can't explain it, but my spirituality is real. There's a deep that cries to the deep 
of God. Or maybe you like, like to pray like my favorite imprecatory psalm that says, but you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days, but as for me, I will trust in you. How many of y'all have been upset and just wanted to like pray a psalm? There you go. Um, Ellen Davis is a distinguished uh, professor of Bible and practical theology at Duke Divinity. She says, the Psalms enable us to bring into our conversation feelings towards God, our God feelings and our God thoughts. They help us not get rid of a picture of God before us. It allows us to know that God is interested in us. And while it can be easy to pray a Psalm a day, like, I want to be like the kind of person that just kind of goes through psalms, like I just said, and pick a psalm and pray a psalm a day and only look for what it has to say specifically for me and my circumstance. Am I feeling overwhelmed? Here's my psalm. Am I feeling grateful for, for nature? Here's my psalm. Am I really mad at the person who cut me off? Here's my psalm. Actually, the psalms are not just for our own personal formation. They're for our collective formation. Eugene Peterson says, we often imagine wrongly that the Psalms are private compositions prayed by a shepherd, traveler, or fugitive. But close study shows that all of them are corporate. All are prayed by and in community. It goes against the whole spirit of the Psalm to take these communal laments, these congregational praises, these corporate intercessions, and use them as cozy formulas for private solace. So we have a psalm today that we are going to look at. And we're going to look at it collectively. What is the psalm saying to us as a community? But then also individually. How can we take that collective invitation and apply it to our individual lives? So we're looking at Psalm 107. And Psalm 107, as you can see in your liturgy, it begins with asking us to do what I imagine crosses the mind of every single one of us in November. Give thanks. You don't have to raise your hand, but I bet all of us know that we'll have to answer the perennial Thanksgiving table conversation starter. Share something you're thankful for this year. Real talk, on November 1st, I wanted to post one of those monthly grids and commit to doing a gratitude a day on my social media. Um, it was one of my favorite practices when I first started using Instagram, and, and I wanted to reclaim it, but then I started to overthink. What calendar should I use? Who has the best prompts? What do I do when I come across a day where I'm not feeling grateful, where the dog is too hyper and the teens are too hangry, and I just want to Uber Eats dinner, but it's a Tuesday night and we've had takeout too many times this month already. What do I say on my, my gratitude a day calendar when that particular day brings an update from the Holy Land? That's horrific. What do I say on my gratitude a day calendar if my Muslim or Jewish friends post that they're afraid because of racism and misinformation? So here we are, day five of the month, the gratitude month, and I still have not committed to a practice of gratitude yet, even though I know it's good for me, even though our psalm today begins with give thanks. But I so want to explore this idea of being a person of gratitude. There's a podcast that I listen to that I love called Ologies by Allie Ward. And uh, 
<laughs> she did a deep dive on the science of gratitude. And I loved it. And it, it reinforced my desire to practice gratitude. There's a neuroscience researcher out of UCLA that says gratitude starts in our dopamine system. So it's like a lived real thing. That feeling grateful activates the brainstem region and produces dopamine. And then he goes on to say that it boosts serotonin. And that just simply thinking about something we might be grateful for, not actually just saying it out loud or posting it on our Instagram, but taking a moment and just thinking about it, activates all those real embodied ways of healing and growth. Actually, there's, a, there's some studies that say that when we practice gratitude, it affects our neuron density. We become a little bit healthier, a little bit wholer. Our emotional intelligence increases. Our neurons become more efficient. And with that higher level of emotional intelligence, we begin to have deeper relationships with each other. Practicing gratitude is a good way of embodying our, our emotions, a good way of being fully bodied in this brokenhearted world. It's just overwhelming because gratitude seems simple and it's so not. It's complex and nuanced. But the psalmist begins their invitation to God's people with this action, give thanks. And then he goes on to say something else. See, he doesn't say give thanks because all of our circumstances have figured themselves out. I don't have to wait until the dog has a bone and is quiet to give thanks. And I don't have to wait until the teens have talkies and they're now affectionate to give thanks. I can begin my practice of gratitude not based on my circumstance, but because of a person. The psalmist says our circumstantial reasons is not what gives us cause to give thanks. We give thanks because of God's love. God is loving. God sees us and knows us. God can say our name in the same way we said the names of people we love. God loves us with a kind of love that is unwavering and undeniable. And this love can be our companion in the wilderness and anchor us in the deep. The psalmist calls this kind of love, this love that informs our gratitude, steadfast. He says, the steadfast love of God endures forever. And I just want you to think about that phrase for a moment. The steadfast love of God endures forever. And if in our moment of reflection, you were immediately taken back to youth camp, sing along, where you screamed at the top of your lungs, his love endures forever. As a 20-something camp counselor led you in an acoustic guitar rendition of Chris Tomlin's Forever, then bonus points. We were cut from the same evangelical youth culture cloth. Yes and amen, and what would Jesus do? But seriously... The psalmist begins with an invitation to give thanks, not because of our certainty, but because of God's character as one who loves. This kind of love, this, the, the verse points to, is a loyal love, a love rooted in kindness and deep compassion. The Hebrew word for this kind of love is hesed, a love God has for us that is relational and faithful. It's a love we cannot lose and one God will never weaponize against us. 
When I think of this kind of love, this companioning love, this faithful love, I'm reminded of a movie called Short-Term 12 with Brie Larson um, in it. And it's kind of an indie film, um, but it's a, it's a movie about a short-term teen um, housing um, community. So uh, troubled teens would go and they would live in this community and one of the main characters is named Grace. And she is the supervisor for this group home called Short Term 12. And all throughout the movie, there is this motif, this running motif, because what happens is there are certain of the teens who don't want to be there, and so they'll run off. And so like, there's this one teen who's struggling specifically with sort of manic behavior, and so the, the, he runs, and sometimes he's, he runs off in like a cape and his underwear, it's a whole thing. And, and it's like a, this all staff is like chasing after this one kid. And, and then there's another kid who is named Jaden, and she's a new arrival to Short Term 12, and she has a history of self-harm. And Grace clocks pretty quickly that her self-harm is rooted in some abuse. Um, and so they, they form a, a really significant bond. And Jaden has not really had an opportunity to be celebrated and loved and cared for because of her abuse. And so they decide to throw a big birthday party for her. And during her birthday party, Jaden runs off. And she runs off and all of the staff gets up because that's kind of their thing. They like are all ready to go chase. And Grace says, no, I'll go, I'll go. And so she runs behind Jaden and Jaden stops her and says, I don't want you around me, like, stop, like leave me alone. And Grace says, you run and I will follow you. Can I just walk with you? And so the whole next montage we see is of Jaden leaving, running. She gets, she's walking along in a neighborhood. She gets on a bus and there is Grace just companioning her right behind her. Grace sits next to her on the bus. Grace follows her down a darkened alley. Grace follows her into an apartment complex. Grace stands outside and realizes that Jaden has gone to her home where her dad is. And she sits outside, even though she tells Jaden, you know you shouldn't be here. Grace sits outside and waits. And eventually Jaden comes back and they companion each other back to short-term 12. When I think of the steadfast love of God, I think of Grace following Jaden. That no matter where I go and no matter what I do, God's love is just right there. Even when I'm like, I don't want you, God's love is still right there. That God's love goes with me to the darkest, deepest places. God's love follows me to my trauma, and God's love brings me back to a place of health and healing. It's this kind of love that the psalmist is asking us to take stock in, to remember, to let it inform our lived experience. That is the thing that we're invited to give thanks for. The psalmist's invitation for us is that no matter what happens to us, take some time to practice gratitude for God's love will, allow, will ground you. Take some time to allow God to walk alongside you. We are called to give thanks because this love redeems us. And in fact, a deep awareness of God's redeeming love is what empowers us to practice gratitude. Redeem. In fact, that's the next thing that we're invited to in this psalm of gratitude, to give thanks, become aware of God's love, and then tell our stories of redemption. Tell our stories of God's redeeming love. I'm going to pause for a moment 
And if you immediately, when you heard me say Redeeming Love, a Christian romance novel written by Francine Rivers, turned into a melodramatic, somewhat heretical movie popped in your head, again, yes and amen. You are my people. We hid this in many a romance, Christian romance novel in our Choir the Fire tote bags. <laughs> so I have this love-hate relationship with this word, redeem, that the psalmist chooses to use. Redeem, on one hand, makes me feel safe and like God's got it all figured out. Humanity sinned and, we're, and we were in danger of living with the eternal consequences of that sin. So God and God's grace and love came up with a solution. God would take on human flesh, live with us, teach us, challenge us, and eventually die for us so that we wouldn't suffer under the weight of sin. I'm grateful for that picture of redemption, but then I sometimes struggle with redemption because it feels incredibly transactional and honestly stressful. Like when I realize I have a promo code that expires that same day, so I'm spending hours online trying to figure out what I need from Bed Bath & Beyond before they close for good. Or even worse, like the other day when my daughter ran downstairs to tell me that our favorite shop had a, had a sale where everything was 70% off. And I sat there, y'all literally struggling to take advantage of this great sale. I, I wanted to be among the redeemed girlies with a cart full of scented lotions and body sprays. But alas, I was not. It wasn't right for me. And I sometimes feel like that about God as my redeemer, that I'm simultaneously safe and stressed. God, I know you've saved me, but also I'm not sure I can live up to or meet the expectations of that redemption. So what does it mean to be someone that is grateful, that is aware of God's love and tells our stories of redemption when we sometimes feel simultaneously stressed and safe? You see, what I have learned is that I can look at the saints before me in Scripture and in my life who rest in God as their redeemer and see that they manage that stress as choosing to think of redemption as less than a one-time transaction, but an ongoing process of healing and restoration. Less like the HGTV fixer-upper that's a charming hot mess one day in modern farmhouse perfection three weeks later. No, this process of being redeemed and telling our story of redemption is like the average middle-class home where a project a season is tackled. One year it's the bathroom, another the basement. Finally, you work towards the in-law suite addition. Or shoot, it's a non-spectacular year of renovation. The pipes need to be replaced. Our redemption from sin, the brokenness of this world, and our choices that cause harm to relationships is a process of slowly repairing and slowly transforming. And as we, and as we enter into this process, of redemption, our perspective changes. That's how we begin to practice gratitude. We begin to see ourselves more clearly and how much deeply we need to be loved and held and cared for and seen. Then God's love becomes more relevant and our gratitude expands. And we start to see it in people, like the coffee made by a partner who suffered from insomnia through the night. They use their gift of time to help you begin your day or the friend who texts you a funny meme, or the supervisor who noticed you leaving early for work and says, I hope everything's okay. Let me know if you need to take some time off tomorrow. When we begin to see these stories of redemption, of brokenness being made whole, we begin to attribute it to the God who made those opportunities happen to us. 
and we begin to become more grateful. We begin to see the love and care in these small acts of kindness as winks from the divine, the one who sees you and loves you and calls you by name. James Bryan Smith says, um, God sings his love over you in bird song. God smiles at you in maple trees. God charms you with the color green. He gave you eyes to see sunsets, ears to hear rainfall, a nose to smell a rose. God's massive love appears in the small fragments. God is loving you in these moments, even if you don't know it. God's steadfast love follows you. And I think this is why the psalmist can take the story of the Exodus, the, the desert wandering of the Israelites, their most tying time and time and remind them of God's goodness in the midst of it all. The psalmist invites them to remember how God was with them in their distress, led them by a straight way and satisfied them while they were thirsty. And I love this. I love this because the psalmist is calling God's people to remember what the prophet Joel says of God. He will restore the years the locusts have eaten because God loves to redeem and restore and repair. And for that, I am grateful. And so as we enter into our time of silence, I want to offer you just one more little piece of neuropsychology. So there is this concept that is rooted in the polyvagal theory, which is our vagus system, like our embodied system. And this concept is called glimmers. And glimmers are a reaction to pain triggers. So when something happens, uh, it triggers us and we enter into a freeze state. And some psychologists and some sociologists got together and they figured out that we, we can have an autonomic nervous reaction to those, those pain triggers, but then we can also cultivate within ourselves the capacity of responding to it by looking for what they call glimmers. Little things, little cues that move us out of our fight or freeze state. They're cues of goodness and beauty and light and love in the world around us. They invite us to think of uh, this process as a ladder and our fight and freeze reaction is at the bottom of the ladder. And when we choose to look for glimmers, we're moving out of the deep trauma up into a lighter, healthier place. It's a practice response for when we're feeling trauma or pain. And as I read this passage, knowing that the original hearers were still in their own state, their bottom of the ladder of unrest and anxiety, knowing that there was still some generational trauma, knowing that there were still questions about God's will and desire for them, the psalmist utilized this principle of glimmers. Look for the glimmers. Look for evidences of God's goodness. Look for the following companion love of God. So my friends, we're going to enter into some silent reflection, and I'm going to ask you to pay attention to your body. Where does the anxiety and fear set in? And offer that to God, and ask for the Spirit to give you a glimmer, something good, and then maybe pray something like, thank you, God, for this glimmer. It reminds me of your steadfast love. And I want to do this. I want to do this practice of looking for glimmer. So I say yes and amen and pass the gratitude journal 
please. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Church Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. Creating opportunities for our community to respond from wherever they are in their faith formation. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary and a church calendar because they anchor us in something which can hold us no matter what life throws our way. Our goal is to become ordinary apprentices of Jesus who are learning to love God, ourselves, and others wholeheartedly. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit genesiscove.org.